You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It is hot in the summer, most everywhere that you're probably hearing us, but we are back. We are back. We're trying to cool it down here on another episode of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am the mostly capable host, TJ Reeves. He is the guy that you're hearing uh, all the time on this podcast, and you're here for his insight and analysis on the ratings and all things going on. The purveyor, the owner, the operator of SportsMediaWatch.com is John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson, back aboard with the NBA Concluded. With the Stanley Cup playoffs in the full throws at the time we're, we're taping, we have reached the summer. John, how are things here uh, for you as we embark on another show? Well, you know, just getting through uh, another semester, right? Uh, and then, you know, maybe maybe some time off finally, right? A little, so. a little time off. At the time we're talking, you are Mr. Final Exam, I believe, for your class. Uh, yep. it's, it's happening, right? Yep, it's uh, 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot more than that for the professor that's looking to to grade to do these things. Uh, and you've all, you've often uh, uh, said to us that it is a labor of love with your students, and you share some uh, some insight with them. Are they still gung ho even in the summertime when it's a summer class? Are they still going? Uh, the first summer, the first summer, uh, summer B, uh, which I'm not doing uh, this time, <laughs> is a very different atmosphere uh, and summer a some summer B is like playing. I don't know for the Pittsburgh pirates or the Kansas city Royals in the summer, long about July and August when it's over and you know, it's over and you still got to show up at the ballpark, right? Exactly. Yeah. Summer a is, uh, it's, it's more, it's closer to the spring, you know? And so you, you, the summer, Hey, today's the first day, isn't it? June 21st. Yes, as we release the podcast, it's the there longest day of the year. Hopefully it won't be the longest wow. podcast of the year, but it's the, the summer solstice, the longest day of the year for daylight uh, on the, all right, much to get to, uh, whether it's NBA related, Stanley Cup related. We got to talk U.S. Open. Is NBC done running their commercials? I asked rhetorically. My God, we'll talk about that as we go along. And we've got a special guest, uh, John, as well. Share with the audience who's joining us a little bit later on in the podcast and why. Well, uh, we should be joined later by Lindsay Zarniak, the former Sports Center anchor, now the host of the SRX Racing Series on CBS, and does a lot of work for Fox Sports on the NFL and NASCAR as well. So, looking forward to that. 
We're looking forward to talking to Lindsay. You will recognize her voice. You will definitely recognize her face from ESPN Sports Center and all the years that she did that. Uh, and I am just going ahead and teasing with the audience here and with you. I've got a fun story where she and I are intertwined with her Fox NFL duties and my Buccaneer radio duties from the pandemic season two years ago. Stay tuned. Stay tuned on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Don't go anywhere uh, here when we talk to Lindsay on that story and we'll, uh, I hopefully we'll pay it off and we will deliver. All right. So speaking of paying it off, the Golden State Warriors did in fact pay it off with a game six win and another championship. We theorized last week, does this make them a dynasty, et cetera, et cetera. They did get the fourth title. They won in game six in Boston. So John, it concludes so uh, give me your thoughts, including the final ratings for ABC as it all comes to an end there in basketball. Well, you know, it's so hard to really say. I mean, obviously, these numbers are not what I think most people anticipated. You know, the story will be, oh, well, you know, we knew the numbers were going to be this or that. But I don't think anybody thought that a Warriors Celtics NBA finals would average viewer viewers and Spurs Pistons did in 2005, right? So I don't think that was something anyone would have anticipated given the teams involved. You know, given everything that's happened over the past couple of years, certainly 12.4 million viewers is not a bad number, but the expectations get raised when you get Steph versus, you know, Boston. And I think 12.4 million, hey, that's a great number for even Warriors Heat, honestly. But Warriors Celtics, to me, was the best possible matchup. So, you know, that to me, I I don't think the league can realistically say that they expected it to average fewer than 13 million viewers, right? Um, Now, obviously, I say it averaged fewer viewers than, you know, Spurs Pistons in 05, which is true. At the same time, Spurs Pistons in 05 couldn't even beat Dancing with the Stars on the same network, Mm. right? Meanwhile, this NBA Finals in the era of TV that we're in, the sixth largest TV audiences since uh, the beginning of May. Now, this is where it gets to be an interesting one because the NBA is so much more dominant than everything else on TV outside of sports that obviously it's doing great. But at the same time, you know, I said it was the sixth largest TV audiences since early May. Well, since the Kentucky Derby and the Derby had 16 million viewers. So if the Kentucky Derby can get back to 16 million viewers, why can't the NBA? It's not like the Kentucky Derby has been outdrawing the NBA finals every year. I mean, honestly, it's been pretty comparable in terms of viewership because the Derby does really well. But, you know, the NBA with Curry versus LeBron, you know, the Derby was, you know, rarely in uh, in front of those numbers. So to me, if, if the Kentucky Derby can rebound to 16 million, why can't the NBA get to 16 million? Now, in fairness, they did get to about 17 million-ish for the clinching game six. They they got a number up above the average, obviously, towards the end, right? Well, it was honestly just shy of 14 million. They didn't get to 17 million. Okay, now, not- one thing that is worth noting, I'm comparing it to the Derby, right? The Derby mm-hmm. is, what, 40 minutes, right? So it's pretty easy to sustain 16 million viewers over 40 minutes. And, you know, on a, uh, the NBA finals peaked with 17 million. That's what I peak. saw. Okay. Yes. Yeah. In your story. So the, the game six peaked at 17 million. And I guess that's comparable to the Derby, but it used to be that, you know, the whole game would average more viewers than the Derby, even over the course of the full two and a half hours. So I guess the point I'm making is the NBA has a lot to feel good about, but where it ranks compared to the other sports, 
is still not the same level of strength that it had just a few years ago. I mean, it's probably going to lose to the World Series for a third straight year because I think we all expect at this point the Yankees to be there. The Yankees mm-hmm. are at 15, 15 and 18. If the Yankees are there, I mean, granted, I would have thought if the Warriors are there and we saw that the numbers weren't quite. So the right. Yankees being there might not mean anything come October. We might, we might, the Yankees, I mean, realistically, the Yankees haven't been in the World Series in 13 years. If you're 20 years old, they're nothing to you, right? That's correct. So, as crazy you know, as that sounds. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's the case that the Yankees get there in October and you're like, wow, 11 million viewers for a Yankee World Series. And that could easily happen. But I do think there's a decent shot. The World Series is going to be the NBA Finals the third straight year. It made sense in the bubble. In the bubble, it was like, well, the World Series is, is at its normal time of year. The NBA is four months later than usual, right? It made sense even last year because the NBA was still out of season. But at a certain point, you have to start thinking, as the NBA kind of lost a little bit of ground versus these other sports. Now, don't get me wrong. With fewer viewers in the World Series, the NBA is dominating that demo matchup. So the NBA is still a more valuable property, at least from that perspective. But, you know, I do think the NBA is maybe losing a little bit of ground compared to those other marquee sporting events where it was undisputed, the big, you know, the big kahuna outside of football. And I don't think that it's at that level right now. But that doesn't really mean anything because, it's, you know, yeah, OK, it might not be quite as dominant versus the other sports, but everything else on TV is a joke right now and 12 million viewers in, in this environment where, you know, I mean, there isn't that there isn't enough stunt casting in the world to get a regular series to 12 million viewers at this point nowadays. So can't do it. Okay. So a couple of other points on this uh, because we've been talking about these, I mean, one Boston, the market, yes, but in the final autopsy, if you will here, it didn't draw well enough. Uh, in terms of the biggest star. So we know that real quick, right? The Boston name alone and the Celtics, and you even mentioned this, that the connection is not there even even back to Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Paul Pierce, much less to the legendary Bird, Parrish, McHale, Dennis Johnson, Celtics of the 80s. There's no connection to that with the present team. The final autopsy, it did not help it rise that way just because it's the Celtics. Well, you know, you got to keep in mind the Alan Pierce Garnett Celtics. Those were three big stars, established stars in the NBA, particularly Garnett, but Ray Allen as well. Been a star in college too. You know, Tatum and Brown, I think they both went to Duke. Did Brown go to Duke? No, he went to Cal. Cal right? Went to Cal, Jalen Brown, yes. Yeah. And uh, Tatum went to Duke for a year. You know, they're not, they're, they're, most people aren't familiar with them. Right. They just aren't. And so, you know, uh, this Celtics team, maybe we need to start thinking less of certainly in the NBA, less about the team name and even the market size and more about whether these stars are even known by anybody. OK, and so you brought up last week and I had a Cleveland uh, fan of our show say, well, wait a minute. When LeBron left to go to Miami, that was a stacked team. When we were going over yeah. stacked teams oh, yeah. to go with Dwayne Wade, to go with Chris Bosh and to be with Ray Allen in the heat and I end up winning Ray Allen there at the end of his career. So the stacked team besides the Warriors, especially if it's an Eastern stacked team, whatever that is. And in, and in fairness, uh, you know, the, uh, the net set out to have this mm-hmm. with, uh, with James Harden, with Kyrie Irving and with Kevin Durant, and it never really materialized yeah. for health and for the vaccination reason and the other stuff, it never really materialized. So there've been attempts at the stack team, but maybe the stack team in the East where we know them better might help the NBA at some point. Fair. Well, I would say one, when LeBron went to Miami, it was a massive national story 
right? In a way that Durant going to Golden State was kind of like that, but not quite. But LeBron going, I mean, it was absurd. You had, you know, John Stewart was on The Daily Show criticizing LeBron. They were criticizing LeBron on The Simpsons, right? You know, I mean, it was everywhere. You know, I mean, th- th- this was, you, they were talking about it on cable news. They didn't talk about Kevin Durant joining the Warriors on CNN. They talked about LeBron joining the Heat on CNN. Uh, and, you know, that was the biggest thing the NBA's had since Jordan, easily. Uh, and uh, realistically, as compared to the rest of TV, I mean, that was as big as the NBA's been. Um, you know, so to me, uh, the stack deck uh, aspect, one, it loses its punch when it happens over and over again. I think that LeBron going to LA, obviously that wasn't a stacked team by any stretch, but just the general aspect of leaving your team for something theoretically better, you know, Durant going to Brooklyn, you know, it, it, it loses its punch. And so it is interesting though. People complain about the stacked teams. Golden state was built through the draft, this iteration of it. That's you know. correct. And it was a lot less popular than the iteration that was built through free agency. With but honestly, honestly, in their rise, built through the draft. I mean, yeah. they and it wasn't the number one overall pick or even the top two or three picks. It's getting Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green later in the first round. And, and it, Draymond Green was like the end of the first round. I'm, I'm just going off the top of my head. There were numerous teams that had a chance at him. So I, I agree with you on the whole stack team thing. And, and LeBron was obviously iconic from the time he came into the league yeah. and was pushed as such. And now he's abandoning. Oh, my God, he's abandoning Cleveland. And so that fueled everything yeah. uh, in that time period when we uh, when we lived through it. Anything else in the final analysis of the NBA before we move on, John Lewis? I think, yeah, I think the NBA is in an interesting place because it's going to get all the TV money it wants. I mean, the, you know, it's, it's, it's such a valuable property in the particular ways that matter to the people with the money in this industry, which is a very different thing than is the NBA surging in popularity. It clearly isn't, at least not by any Nielsen measure. So ultimately, you know, where's the NBA? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think if you're the league, the hope is that this year's finals number was an indication that, you know, maybe the biggest matchups don't have the same pull because you don't want this to be, oh, we got 12.4 million viewers because it was the best possible matchup because you're not going to get the best possible matchup every year. The hope if you're the league is that, oh, okay, we just didn't get the lift from staffing and Boston that we expected, but this is pretty much where we'll be every year. You can live with being at 12.4 million viewers every year. There's nothing. I mean, these are not horrible numbers. by Especially any when you're two or three times better than whatever else is on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can live with that. You, you, you're, yeah. you're, you're making great reference points, as you did last week on the podcast, that as great as those numbers were for the Jordan era or before, there were other things on network TV that were still as good or beating it. Not yeah. the case in 2022. Exactly. With that, a good point on that. Okay, so let's segue off of that to the Stanley Cup Finals with my Champa Bay Lightning, as I do this show in West Central Florida, unabashed here as somebody that wants to see the Lightning do well. Man, did they get pulverized, especially in the second game in Denver against the Colorado Avalanche. At the time that John and I are releasing the podcast, the Lightning have bounced back have won the third game, so they have now sustained that the series will at least be a five-game series for the NHL. Depending on what happens Wednesday night, which we don't know the result of as we release the podcast, could go deeper. Lightning win, it will go deeper uh, than that. All right, so, John, in looking at the numbers and the matchup, 
I was skeptical that this is going to resonate all over the country because it's not the New York Rangers. It's not an Ovechkin brand name in, in the Washington Capitals. It's not a Sidney Crosby brand name with the Penguins. John, what are you seeing so far with the audience three games in? Well, you know, again, it just comes down to the same thing with the NBA. You know, it's these are not numbers that are going to wow anybody. You know, 4.2 million for game one, 3.7 million for game two, 4.1 million for game three. That's probably going to be the highest three game average for the cup final in a long time because games two and three used to air on NBCSN. So game two was actually up 11 percent. Game three was up 40 percent from 2019. But realistically, that's NBCSN to ABC, right? These are not great numbers for a cup final game on broadcast TV. The cup final had had, uh, I don't know exactly, maybe nine straight games on broadcast TV before COVID had topped 5 million. So you're talking about 4.2, 3.7, 4.1. Part of it is these games have been ridiculously lopsided. Even game one was pretty lopsided. It was, you know, you, you, you left the TV and then, oh, Tampa Bay tied it up. Then you come back. But you weren't watching all the way through because it looked like the Avalanche had it pretty well uh, you know, taken care of. And, and that Saturday game, I can't believe that anybody other than an Avalanche fan or the Lightning's friends and family of the players playing were still watching after like the second period of that game, to your point, as bad well, as that I watched was. all the way to the end. Well, and I did too. So I'm just metaphorically kind of joking well, about I that. Mean, but good yeah. Lord, why would you? There were so many people that would say, I got well, something else to do besides watch five nothing, six nothing. You're not going to like it, but I wanted to see how far they could take it. <laughs> I wanted to see eight nothing. You know, I mean, pile I, it on. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then the reverse happens in the third game where the Lightning come home, and suddenly that becomes a four to yeah. you know one, five to one, six to one runaway in that game. Yeah. Um, so the drama I continue to maintain. I don't know that this is going to get to six or seven million people for any yeah. of these games, even in a in a clinching game, just because of what you have. Right. educated me on on the fragmented tv audience well uh, you know that kind of stuff can i just say the fragmented tv audience the shares are incredible mm-hmm. you know so a rating and a share are two different things the, the two different things the rating is you know the percentage of tv homes watching out of the total tv universe the share is the percentage of tv homes watching out of the tv universe that's using tv mm-hmm. right and i mean so for example in 18 to 49 right? Game, game six of the NBA finals had a 4.3 rating, which means 4.3% of 18 to 49s were watching in the average minute and a 38 share, which means that 38% of 18 to 49s, which means that 38% of the TVs that were on. Exactly. Which means that 4.3% of adults 18 to 49 equaled 38% of adults 18 to 49 who were watching TV. Those are awful numbers for TV. Great numbers for the NBA. The right, 38 right. share in 18 to 49 is incredibly dominant. But I mean, for TV, I mean, if you do the math, that's what, less than 20% of 18 to 49s were watching TV. You know, that, that's jarring. And we're seeing it with everything. You're gonna, I mean, we've been seeing over the past couple of years since all this started with COVID and the numbers were coming in so horribly the share, which had been so forgotten, I had hardly even written about it for years, is popping up in press release after press release. If I had asked a network about a share four years ago, I would have gotten no response, right? It would have been one of those emails where it's like, oh, come on, I'm not even responding to that one. But now, you know, the share is, it's one of your best arguments. You can say, okay, hey, yeah, I know our ratings are down, but if you look at who's actually watching TV, our share is up. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you get to a low enough number, hey, hey, we got a 50 share 
granted, there were two people watching TV last night when we got a 50 share, <laughs> then it starts to get to be a waste of time. But for now, uh, every single sport, including the NHL, all these numbers, the shares are not different. For, for game six of the NBA finals, it was a 7.5 rating overall and a 21 share. Game six in 2019, a 10.7 rating and a 22 share. The rating drop off is huge, but the share is basically the, of the audience. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. All right. So back uh, and again, Lindsay Zarniak will be with us uh, here on the podcast forthwith. Uh, just quickly, though, on the ESPN broadcast of things, because, again, this is the first time they've had the finals in 18 years. And ironically, the last time they had it, the Tampa Bay Lightning were involved and won the Stanley Cup. So they come back around 18 years later. The finals are Colorado and Tampa Bay. Uh, Sean McDonough, Ray Ferraro, Emily Kaplan on the call. She's received some criticism. I will just say as a father of twins and who's been doing this for a long time, it's easy to take cheap shots probably at her. I'm going to refrain. I'm going to be one of the few, the proud, like the Marines on the podcast. that's going to refrain. Um, I will say that through the mask, when she's interviewing coaches, she's tough to hear on the questions and you have to turn it up. She's tough to hear anyway over the crowd noise, doesn't have a loud voice to begin with. So I'm just giving you a little spot on me what uh, of, of what I've noticed and observed. What have you noticed on the broadcast real quick, if anything that's relevant? Well, it should be noted, Kaplan is certainly very aware of the criticism of the mask wearing. She told Richard Deitch in an interview in The Athletic recently, that is not her choice. That is mm-hmm. the NFL. It's not even ESPN's choice. It's the NFL. The NHL. The NHL. Yeah. Did I say the NFL? The NHL. It's okay. The NHL. Yep. Yeah, the NHL is the one uh, uh, making that be the case. You know, uh, I mean, look, it's a tough role. It's basically if you're if you're be, if you're between the glass and you didn't play, you're basically Pierre Maguire and people are going to be upset that you're there. Uh, and, you know, maybe not the people you're interviewing, but the people who are watching on TV. Uh, I will say I'm not the biggest fan of some of her questions at times, but I, I suspect that's coming from people above her. Mm-hmm. who are saying, who, you know, who are saying, Hey, we've got tons of casual viewers, you know, you know, the executives, they get into people's heads and say, Hey, dumb it down. And then when the person dumbs it down, everyone gets mad at them. It's not their fault. Uh, Mike Green did a podcast with Brian Curtis the other day, and he was talking about the fact that before his first NBA finals game, he was being told by executives, you know, you should really explain everything. There's people who were watching who weren't watching all year. And at one point Breen said that he was explaining what a free throw was. <laughs> I mean, you know, how absurd do we get with this? But overall, on the call of the game, just real quick, uh, Steve Levy, Mark Messier, yeah. Chris Chelios for the studio show. I still think Brian Boucher should be on the call of the game. But well, overall, you good? Well, Brian Boucher should be on TNT if that's what ESPN is going to do with him. You know, you got to, you know, he's kind of being wasted. Um, McDonough, I've talked before, uh, kind of the the dry aspect, the Mr. Lynch from home movies aspect, monotone. You know, he does get up for those big calls, but there are some goals that he just calls in his normal timber if it's a blowout. I mean, you know, I don't know. I I feel like Sean McDonough is a fine broadcaster. I don't know if he's a lead for the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I think you've got Levy, you know. I mean, he's not doing Mike Emmerich is the standard of going crazy and frantic and elevating the voice, and that's tough to live up to for anybody. Well, I mean, even Gary Thorne. I mean, I'm, I'm not yes. the biggest Gary Thorne guy, but I mean, as compared to Sean, yeah. it's staggering. It's a sharp difference. All right. So we're very happy to be joined by Lindsay Zarniak, a familiar face to many of you from ESPN back in the 2010s, now works for Fox Sports and CBS for the SRX Racing Series. 
very much in the auto racing community all the way back to the days on Turner and their NASCAR studio show back in the early 2010s. So uh, very happy to be joined by Lindsay. And of course, if you are uh, any part of the Washington sports scene, you also know her from that as well. So uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time. We're happy to uh, happy to have you on our podcast. That's our first ever guest, actually. Ah, fantastic. I um, I am really excited to be here. And thank you for such a kind introduction. And I love the succulent plants behind you. Oh, uh, well, they're fake. They're fake. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't know. And uh, no, they're actually really nice. So there you go. Yeah. And I was actually not correct. You're our second guest after Bob Harrig was here a few weeks ago. I apologize to both you and Bob. For hey, that. she's but- much better looking than Bob. Phenomenal, phenomenal as Bob is. He's not winning against Lindsay Zarniak. So it's an easy mistake to make. And by the way, just while we're doing theater of the mind, John's yeah. background looks a lot better than mine, where I've got like Tampa Bay memorabilia hats of World Series, Stanley Cups and Super Bowls. So John is more decorative than I am. On on that, but John, go ahead. Go ahead. There. Okay. Well, yeah. Good plug. I love the plug of the Tampa Bay uh, <laughs> yes. reign of champions there. Yes. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Well, I have to have a good background because I teach, but you know, it is what it is. But uh, let's go ahead and <laughs> jump into the discussion about uh, your your position. This is your second year doing this. The SRX Racing Series debuted over the weekend for its second season. Uh, this is such an interesting idea because it's just a six-week season in the middle of the summer uh, and uh, something that ultimately has a lot of big names attached to it, Danica Patrick, Tony Stewart. So, you know, what is that experience like? I know you were interviewing, I believe it was uh, Marco Andretti uh, over the weekend. Yeah. So what was what's the general experience like and what was interviewing him like? Well, I mean, starting with this, this show and the general experience that the reason I love it is because it really is it's so this is based loosely off of a series that was called I rock, which happened, which brought the best drivers from different genres, right against each other. And that's really what this is. And what is awesome to me is you'll be at the track any given weekend and the caliber of drivers that are there, it is it's awesome. I mean, Elio Castroneves was the driver that won last weekend. He's a four-time Indy 500 champion. He's one of the best drivers in IndyCar, you know, going up against some of the best, you know, champions in NASCAR and in different genres. So that's in itself is really cool because also what I've loved to watch is the way that these personalities mesh. And what I've discovered is there's a competition level that is pretty unique because these guys all travel around together for these six weeks. But at the end of the day, there's sort of a different level of, of like uh, want to and bragging rights because these guys are truly the best in the best. And it's like, they want to go out there and prove. And also, you know, we're racing on short tracks. And so that's something that the cars are um, based on stock cars, the more traditional type of car you see in NASCAR. And so these IndyCar drivers got in those cars. They didn't even know how to race them. You know, they had to figure out that. And so the whole thing has been this really interesting experiment. And I just love week in, week out, you know, you're there with just some of the greatest personalities in the sport, but also, to watch it play out like last weekend in Pensacola, it was 104 degrees. And some of those guys, when they got out of their cars, you know, they, they we had these visuals, they had ice packs. Um, one driver was literally like laying on the pave, laying on the pavement um, because inside the car it reached levels of like 144, you know? So that just shows like the level of desire and drive that these athletes have. Um, but in terms of Marco, 
So Marco Andretti is the grandson of Mario Andretti. And Marco has been in IndyCar racing for years. He's raced other forms of racing also, but he's most well associated with IndyCar. And he's racing in SRX. Last year, he won one of the races, um, which was in Wisconsin. And we went to his home because the Andrettis, he lives, he bought his family home in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And Marco decided a little bit over a year ago that he was going to pull himself back from full-time racing because he wasn't getting the full fulfillment out of it. I think that it required in terms of the work, but he definitely still has the the drive to want to win an Indy 500. He said that, that he will try to do that, you know, for the next five years. But it was interesting perspective because he held a barbecue and he sort of lifted the veil and showed us what a day in the life is like for him. And for him, it's all about getting back to the roots that he had as a kid growing up, literally in that house. Well, you know, I don't have the racing background uh, quite so much, although I do find it interesting. You cover uh, SRX, you cover NASCAR. Uh, I know you were at the Indy 500 the other day uh, as well. Am I correct about that? That you yes. were at the Indy 500? Yes. So you are someone who really is very much into auto racing and motorsports. How did you kind of get into all of that? So I was a reporter, you know, out of college. I went to James Madison University in Virginia and out of school, I went to CNN and then I ended up leaving to, um, to get a job as a reporter to sort of, you know, cut my teeth. And I ended up in Jacksonville. I was a news reporter and I didn't know, I was trying to figure out the direction and I, I pivoted because I randomly, this is such a weird story, but I went with a friend to Daytona and we were there just sort of enjoying a weekend, right? Cause I live nearby and we met some folks that were working for Speed Channel when we were there and they knew what I did and we made the connection about being journalists. And so that was that. And then flash forward when Dale Senior, Dale Earnhardt Senior died, they did a tribute concert um, in Daytona and the people there remembered that I worked there and they called and they said, Hey, we know you're a news reporter, but we need someone to interview fans because there's going to be such a crowd turnout. Would you be able to meet us in, um, you know, at the racetrack and you can work for us for that weekend. And so I was at a position where my station let me go do it. And after that, they had an opening speed channel did for their ARCA series. And ARCA is like the grassroots level of stock car driving and comp and competing. And they said, we have a pit reporter position. We would love if you, you know, would consider doing this with us. And my station was willing to let me go and do it if it was on my off time. So I did 13 weekends in a row of ARCA pit reporting. And I, I really didn't know anything. And I had to learn from the ground up. And it was a very intimidating scenario. But it was also so awesome because everyone in racing that I was asking these questions of, they were just so welcoming and so nice. And also what I found was the producers that I worked with, I really had to lean on them to be like, this sounds like such a stupid question I'm about to ask, but like, I really don't know this. I mean, I had, you know what I mean? I had to learn the difference from a chassis to a, a whatever, you know? And um, so that was that. And along the same time, as I got interested more and more in motorsports, and I really fell in love with it because what struck me was the family dynamic of it all. And, and honestly, the work that goes into it because You've got to have a different level of passion to want to do that week in and week out. And really that's all you're doing during the week also, because you are building your own race cars, you're paying for it. You're, you're grabbing funding where you can get it. It takes a lot. And while I was doing that, I get, I got this interest in it. And so the sports crew that I was working at the station with in Jacksonville, I was doing news, but they said, Hey, 
you want to come with us to a NASCAR race? Cause that's where we're going. And we could just use your help. And we know that you're learning about the sport. And I was like, sure, I'll tag along. And we, I went and we were waiting in victory lane to interview the winner. And while we were waiting there, we became friendly with this TV crew from Miami, Florida, and it was a sports crew. And at the end of that day, they said, you know what, we have an opening for a sports anchor and reporter, and we would love to talk to you about it. And that is total, that's how it happened. That's how like my pivot happened into sports and racing at the same time. And um, that was a really long winded answer. I'm so sorry, but that's, that's what the story <laughs> is. So I didn't expect it, but it, it came out of nowhere and it's been such an awesome experience. And that's why for me, there is something about racing that just feels like it, it just, I love it. And it's like, it feels sort of like home in this weird way. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Again, a few more moments here. Lindsay Zarniak is with us. You know this voice. You know her from ESPN Sports Center. her coverage of the Olympics as well with NBC. It is the second season of the SRX Super Racing Experience. It is on as we release the podcast Saturday night in prime time for the summer on CBS. I love her insight. Before you are gone, we've got a couple more that we want to ask you. Uh, one of them you and I actually are intertwined slightly for this reason. So I'm going to make you smile on this one. I, I don't know in the pandemic crazy year of 2020, did you work a week one football game that year in an empty stadium? I don't yes. know if you did. I see you nodding. Yes. Okay. All right. Week one, that 2020 year, eventually won by who else? John Lewis and Lindsey Zarniak, but my Champa Bay Buccaneers eventually got the Super Bowl win in the pandemic year in Raymond James Stadium, by the way. All right. In that pandemic year, we did every game in the home stadium, including the road games on TV because of the, the travel concerns, because of the guidelines, et cetera. We, we did what almost every other NFL broadcaster did radio-wise, and that is you did the game out of either a studio or the home stadium. So we had done the week one game watching all of this in an empty Superdome where Brady and the Buccaneers lost to Breeze the Saints. Week two is a Buccaneer home game against the Carolina Panthers. And I am down in the front row of the stands of Raymond James Stadium in an empty stadium. And Lindsey Zarniak is working on the Fox Sports crew with me. And there was more than one occasion when I looked at you and you looked at me. We now have had a couple of years to think about that. And you had done it the week before, but Th yeah. That I've done some crazy things in this business, and that is as crazy to stand in an empty stadium where you can hear the players talking on the field, Lindsay. No exaggeration. You can yeah. hear the coaches yeah. on the opposing sideline yelling things at the ref and to the players because yeah. there's no one there. Pick up on that, please, because you and I are kind of intertwined two, you know, on, that, on that mayhem. Two things that I think about from that. Number one, uh, yeah, I remember vividly that game and you talked about hearing the players. What I was so struck by was the injuries, hearing this stuff. Okay. Like I remember I was covering one game. I think it was in Indy that year. And I saw a player run off the field and he goes, my finger, I broke my finger. And I was like, <laughs> I, I literally froze because I was so compelled by like what I was watching. And these two trainers came over and just stuck that thing right back into place. And I was like, Oh 
my gosh, like the level of that, that we, that I heard that I saw was like, okay, that's eye opening. Or like, there's a player vomiting in a trash can on a sideline. I would have never seen that. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you're covered by people and you're, you're the crowd noise and everything. Um, so I, it, it was so eye opening and it was a testament. I think like, you know, pl- every player always talked about how big a deal it was to have the fans there. And I think that really obviously highlighted it, but that, that one game that you mentioned, I remember the, one of the coolest things that I'll never forget is so Leonard Fournette, um, I remember he came out of that tunnel because one of the, the tough things was figuring out how to talk to players pregame mm-hmm. because you're not on the field, you know, so we weren't. So I would have to kind of hang out by a tunnel to catch them when they were walking in. And I was able to talk to Leonard and he at that point had really just come on with a team and he was just given that shot to join the team. And he I was like we were just reconnecting and he shared the story about how he got the call and the opportunity and how he after he got that call he went in his car and he just started crying and he called his mom. And for some reason, like, I know that sounds like a cheesy story, but that, that will always stick with me because Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my God, here's a guy that has had such a successful career, thought he was done potentially. And now has gone on to be such a difference maker for them. You know, I mean, absolutely incredible. And so watching that, that whole year, I don't know. It also, did it make you feel closer to the team and to the players because you're kind of like all in this together it it was weird because i was in the same boat while working for the team but i was not allowed to have contact or access and so to pull the curtain back a little further on what Lindsay's talking about we would stand in the front row they would come over maybe by us by a tunnel and we're literally 20 or 30 feet away from them having a conversation because we're not allowed by the guidelines to be up next to them much less even on the field with them talking to them the whole thing was weird. And just one more elaborate on this, because it took some getting used to. You're looking out there going, that is Tom Brady not playing for the New England Patriots. That is Tom Brady <laughs> playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in an empty stadium. A stadium that would have been going berserk under normal circumstances has no one here, Lindsay. Yeah, and so I wonder, I wonder in a way if that was helpful for him. I don't know, but knowing like how, you know, and you know, but like knowing how, how much of like a student he is. I wonder if that in some way helped that transition of not being, you know, being in the spotlight, but it was sort of in a different way. Um, because I do remember really thinking about that, that one game Bruce Arians told us at this point, cause we had them three times that year and we had them in the very beginning, middle and end. Sorry. And now you hear my phone in my car. <laughs> okay. Um, Just pick it up. Anyway. I'll edit. I'll edit that. Just pick it up. <laughs> so, At that point, game two, Bruce Arians, you know, the king of analogies, he's like, here's where we are right now. Right now, I'm I'm dating the hot girl and I'm just trying not to mess it up. And and so it was so funny because then I remember we came back mid-season and he had some other analogy for it. He's like, okay, we're at the we're past the honeymoon phase, but whatever it was. But um, you know, the other thing that I was blown away by was the stories that we would hear at that game specifically about how the lengths that he had gone to, to make these connections with his players. And I, you know, I can never, I love hearing those stories, just behind the scenes stories of like, you know, how Tom does it and the way that he would really foster this personal, personal connection with the guys. Um, But also during the pandemic, that was harder too. So I, I just think the whole thing's fascinating. And I still can't believe that we're talking about, you know, the champion Buccaneers. It's like, it's, it's awesome. The whole story is great. 
surreal time. But in any event, we shared that. It's crazy. We got through all of it. John, do we have anything in closing here with Lindsay? Anything else you want to ask or cover before we're good with her? Yeah, you know, I would like to talk a little bit about, obviously, your very long run with ESPN. So you joined ESPN, if I recall, 2011, straight from Turner, where you'd been doing NASCAR for a bit. And, you know, you had a pretty strong rise there uh, to, you know, 6 p.m. Sports Center. A lot of it was solo, sometimes with John Anderson. Uh, and then, you know, uh, I, you obviously have talked about this before. You go on maternity leave, they change the format of the show, and then it's kind of questionable after that, like what your role is. Uh, how did that really, one, how did that kind of end at ESPN if you're comfortable going into that? And two, does your position now where you are working for multiple different outlets kind of give you maybe a little bit more flexibility and maybe a little bit of a better maybe work-life balance than you had before when you were on SportsCenter all those years? So the last question about work-life balance is it's TBD <laughs> because it's always a shit show. It is. Um, I'm still figuring that part out and I'm being honest because the work-life balance is just never that's it's hard. And I, but, but there are definitely bright spots about that situation with the event, more of the event coverage. That's true. Um, but there are also ways that it makes it more challenging and that's very true as well. So that's sort of to be determined. I do think there's something that's been really awesome to me about working with all of these different networks because it is, it's really cool to be able to work with the different groups of people. And then you're just, you're, you know, you're figuring out how the different networks do it. And that's been really cool to be a part of because they're, you know, top of the top. And it's like, I just really enjoy working with so many different people, different teams. Um, and also the variety of what it is. That's awesome. Sports Center was so much fun. And I still have a lot of friends there. That just one thing. It, so I knew that I was leaving the six o'clock before I went out on maternity leave. So just to clarify that one detail, because it wasn't like I left on maternity leave and then didn't know that all had happened before. Um, so when I came back, I was, you know, it was, it was really cool because I was doing Special Olympics and then I was hosting the Morning Sports Center. But the end there, it was something that I look back on and it wasn't, it wasn't a negative. I think at the time it was, the timing was right for it to happen. And truth be told, they were, they were really great. Like I had a manager come down to meet me where I live and said, hey, we really want you to do this. They wanted me to part, be a part of the, um, the weekend show, which is great. That's one of their you know, best shows. But I knew at that point that there was other stuff that I wanted to do. And so the way that it had played out for me, it became very apparent that like, this is the time where if I can go out and explore doing some more event coverage and rather than just being, you know, doing solo studio hosting only, that's what I wanted to do. So I get, you know, as I look at the big picture, there is so much that I have learned from the experience of being there and then leaving there I really, really have always believed that reporting um, for me personally is very important because I really love to have like the firsthand knowledge of what I'm talking about. And even if you can't do it all, obviously, but back in the days when I, you know, I went to ESPN from WRC in um, Washington and I was doing this stuff on tur for Turner on the side, but WRC, you know, you're out there reporting every single day from the Washington football team or, you know, commander's what we're calling them, um, 
camp. And then I would come back and anchor those shows at night. And I think that there's some version of that that I really crave. Like for me doing the studio hosting, that was a blast. And there were certain times that it was like, it felt like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever done on a national level. This is awesome. But I also just really love being able to develop those relationships on my own and, and have that access. So I don't really know what your question was at that point that's gotten me to this, <laughs> but like, I just, I think it's all really a great experience. And as I figure out now, like I'm blessed to have these options of doing these different events, you know, and for me now I am getting that variety and I am learning, I think how to um, schedule my time a little better because you do have to be a little bit more intentional when you're doing it this way, when you're doing like an NFL season and then you've got an Olympic year and this other stuff. But I really found that event coverage is, is something that really like gets me going. Okay. You've got to get going. We do too, but I've got one more to ask for those that don't know. Lindsay's husband is Craig Melvin of the today show. Very popular in our house. It's on all the time. <laughs> you have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old at the time we're doing the podcast. I'm just curious, do they still get a big kick or is it no big deal out of dad and mom being on TV? Because again, I have 14 year olds. I'm not on TV that often, but I'm doing radio stuff. Whatever. They used to care as they got older, Lindsay, they care less. Do your two, do they see dad? Do they see you and they care and oh there they are and we're waving how does it work real quick I mean they don't really care that much my daughter in the morning when we're downstairs if we're you know having breakfast together she'll be like oh there's dad um <laughs> that's cool I think no they don't like it's not that big a deal I do try to take my kids I'll tell you one thing like they do I used to love, especially when I was at Sports Center, they were great about like when my son was young, I would take him to like the NBA finals with me, just like travel him. You know, I, I took care of the room. I had a sitter with me and that was really special. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't remember all of it, but like that for us, there are certain things he does remember that I'm like, that's really cool. Um, but now they just want us to like feed them and you know, let them have ice cream. And that is much cooler than mom or dad being on TV. I think they get confused. And I think that their friends also get confused, which is very funny. I was in a classroom and there was a teacher, I was doing like an art presentation and the teacher said, let's, they were talking about pop art and um, using Andy Warhol as an example and his image of Marilyn Monroe. And the teacher said, who's someone that you guys see all the time that would be a famous person that you could do like this. And one of the kids was like, Dell's dad, my Melvin. And I was like, that's great. Like, I'm going to leave the classroom now because that's not what we need. Like, that's not true. So it's, you know, it's like a weird dynamic. But, um, but no, right now we are totally just mom and dad. They want us to just tuck them in at night and, um, you know, and for them to be able to steal like gummy bears. And where's the ice cream? No doubt. Yeah. John, we've enjoyed Lindsay. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you on the SRX again this weekend and then come the fall, NFL on Fox once again. Thank you, guys. It's been great talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. So again, uh, thank you to Lindsay, to uh, her management and people and the CBS people, because again, she's got different hats and different things going on, including John Lewis, the eight-year-old and the five-year-old, and she'll be on CBS for this summer series. Tony Stewart is part of that coverage too, and he's pretty good. Uh, in the broadcast booth, smoke as he's known, giving some uh, some insight. You didn't you didn't really react when I was saying that I'm that old of a guy that I remember the IROC races that would have like Dale Earnhardt Sr. going against uh, Danny Sullivan of the IndyCar 
they, they were racing in the similar vehicle. It's just kind of the premise of who's the best driver, not necessarily the best vehicle that they have. Right. Well, the reality is I'm familiar with a lot of obscure things, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, obscure sitcoms, slam ball, uh, you know, uh, I've not seen the IROC racing series, although I kind of, I think I've Mm -hmm. heard of it maybe. So I just had uh, no point of reference whatsoever. That's okay. It's allowable. Again, I'm older. I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself with some of these references and some of this stuff. So we, uh, we thank Lindsay for being with us and now we are ready to move on. Love it or leave it. First subject is the United States Open golf coverage. And, and look, all the backdrop that is still unfolding as we go, John, with uh, the PGA Tour and the Live Golf Series, which is the breakaway tour with players leaving seemingly by the day to go to the Live Golf Series, the PGA Tour trying to do some damage control. So this was not the PGA Tour's event. It's the United States Golf Association's event, the U.S. Open, the iconic golf tournament, arguably, uh, for the country. Um, it took place this past weekend, won by a Brit for the second time in the last 10 or 15 years. The Brits had gone like 50 years without having a winner from the UK. But Matthew Fitzpatrick ends up winning it dramatically on Sunday by a shot over uh, American Will Zalatoris and also Masters champion Scotty Scheffler. So love it or leave it. Did you check some of this out because of all of the controversy and the U.S. Open being the event that it is? What about you, John? Yeah, you know, I mean, I did find myself wondering why I still had it on. It was compelling golf. The commercials were over the top. And, Mm. you know, uh, being in a market with a lot of uh, primary ads where you have uh, one one extreme person trying to say that he's more extreme than the other extreme person. It's it's it was not a fun viewing experience. Uh, I will say everyone's leaving the PGA Tour, even Nick Faldo retiring Mm. uh, at the end of the season. You know, when it comes down to it. Uh, I said it last week. I'll say it again. All the people leaving the PGA Tour, these are not the most beloved folks. Even Brooks Kepka, uh, who I'm sure you're familiar with uh, in that neck of the woods at uh, Florida mm-hmm. State, right? But you know, not the most beloved guy. Bryson, people don't like Bryson. People really don't like Patrick Reed. Phil is the only person that's left so far where you're like, oh, people liked him. You know, and when it comes down to it, they're going off into the hinterlands never to be seen or heard from again because this thing to me, you know, you're asking this upstart golf league with no network deal. I mean, what, come on. I mean, this is all for the money. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's basically just disappearing from public life. They're doing, I believe. And again, I've got some insight on this from people that are involved with the live golf series. I believe they will have more events. They may even have a TV deal later this summer with somebody that wants to do it. And ultimately for a lot of these players, they want to come back around to the PGA tour with leverage and negotiating leverage on getting changes with the PGA tour. So we'll see if that uh, works or not. I'm on the leave it uh, tirade about all the commercials too, from the, from the, from the actual event coverage. Um, It is a perfect example of what happens when you allow a television network, a television entity to basically dictate And they're dictating because of how much money they pay the USGA, not unlike NBC and how much money dictating that they pay for the Olympics or ESPN and how much money dictating because they pay college football and the college football playoff. But my Lord, John, at one point there were there were literally like 16 minutes of ads in a half hour. And that's because the USGA obviously was allowing NBC to dictate how many commercials they were going to run. 
Now, in fairness, in the final hour of coverage, basically the end of the 6 p.m. Eastern time hour and all the way around into the 7 Eastern time hour for the finish, they went like over 40 minutes without a commercial break. So that was good. But the, right. the rest on Saturday and Sunday, way too many ads. Yeah. A, a follow-up thought from you on that? Well, I mean, I don't know what NBC needs to recoup. Fox is paying half of this rights fee, right? This is a Fox US Open deal. Um, you know, the reality is, you know, I mean, you have to look, the Masters has no ads, you know, um, you know, it comes down to what kind of a TV product do you want? I was looking at the ratings and, you know, thinking about it, it, it never occurred to me to look at the ratings of the US Open historically in the context that we've done with the NBA, where you look back and you go, well, even the Jordan finals wasn't doing much better than home improvement. And by that standard, you look at some of the numbers the US Open's had, and I'm like, when was this ever a big draw? I mean, if you're getting a single digit rating in the 1980s, that's, I mean, you're basically at that point, like undisputed on FS1 where three people are watching. (laughs) I mean, so maybe we've overstated how much this means to people, this event, because, you know, I mean, I don't know that it was ever outside of the years when Tiger was winning so much of a dramatically large television draw. Uh, and as far as, you know, you know, the ads go, there's, this, this is all unsustainable. People are not going to tolerate tons of ads. You know, 20 years from now, there's going to have to be the option to pay for the product. I mean, there's one, 20 like years commercial from now, free, you're suggesting. Exactly. Here. Paying for a commercial free uh, subscription or, mm-hmm. or something. Because, I mean, the NBA already does it with League Pass. You know, they don't brag about it. They don't want people to get the commercial free version because it probably brings them less money than the one with ads, even with the higher price. But that's the way it's going to have to be because especially for something like golf, nobody's sitting around wanting to watch. And and these are the most insipid commercials known to man too. Uh, I mean, granted, that's all commercials, but still. It was a little much to say the least. Let's move on. Love it or leave it. Speaking of moving on, and we did talk with Lindsay Zarniak earlier about racing. The racing will now switch as of this weekend to NBC for the NASCAR coverage. John, love it or leave it. Uh, They always, this is the tradition baton pass that goes to NBC because Fox begins to cover college football and the NFL on Saturday and Sunday and can't, and with Major League Baseball wrapping up in the the October slate, they can't make the same commitment year round to NASCAR. NBC always gets the playoffs of NASCAR, which seem to drone on forever and seem to change their format. Love it or leave it here on the switch. You'll be watching some of this as it goes over to NBC now for NASCAR. Well, I'll be interested to see what happens with the USA Network portion. This is new. It was on NBCSN. Now it'll be on USA Network. I spoke with some folks at NASCAR last week, and they seem to be pretty, you know, uh, positive about the USA Network aspect. I think uh, they've seen uh, in terms of the sports that have already been on USA after being on NBCSN last year, some level of growth. Uh, I think NASCAR is in a very interesting spot. NASCAR is kind of what we talked about with the NBA where you can talk about how low the numbers are historically. And I did for a long time. For about 10 years there, every single post on my site about NASCAR was lowest since X, lowest since Y, lowest since Z. And the reality is, one, that's leveled out. And two, I mean, the, the, the collapse of TV has rendered, you know, okay, we're down from 2013, big whoop. You know, I mean, we're still getting for, you know, com- compared to the rest of TV, a representative audience. Uh, and I think if you're NASCAR, you got to feel pretty decent about where you are. 
I think it'll be very interesting to see. They're not going to do it uh, in this next deal, but you know the the Apple TV MLS deal as a template, something like NASCAR, something like IndyCar that inspires passions, right? What Lindsay Zarnag was talking about, you know, it's not typical sports viewing. It's very experiential, right? Uh, and uh, it's a different kind of fan. You just really no casual racing fans. Let's just be real about that, right? You know, you if you're watching every week you care deeply about it. It's a cultural thing. You know, um, I had the, the great joy, uh, no pun intended, uh, of teaching Mike Joy's son in one of my classes. He was mm. in one of my classes and he races. Right. Uh, and like, like it's Mike, like, I don't know. I don't know anything about Mike Breen's family. Do you think Mike Breen's kid like plays basketball, you know, Maybe. or right. I mean, you never know, but like to me, like that says something. There's something in the in the blood about racing. To me, that makes racing something that would be very maybe um, something that would work very well in that subscription format. Because I think people would be very willing to spend that kind of money. Well, give me let me give you a couple of reference points. And again, you're referencing Mike Joy, the Emmy Award winning longtime host of the NASCAR on Fox and their play by play coverage. And his son obviously would have grown up being around the NASCAR scene for for years and decades. So it doesn't surprise me that he would gravitate uh, towards a racing career in some form or some capacity. Uh, this is interesting when you go to the races. So on the radio coverage that Lindsay Zarniak was talking about, the Motor Racing Network, uh, I believe this is the case everywhere that they go, but it's certainly the case at Daytona. They don't take a break at the track. So you will hear ads on the radio broadcast or now on the app. If you're listening on SiriusXM or NASCAR.com, you'll hear ads. But if you're at the track, John, those guys go and they keep going and they keep talking during the commercials and during the race, there is no commercial. They just keep talking. So in other words, what happens is they're piping it through the PA and you're, and you're there at the track and can hear it. If you're in the concourse, you can certainly hear it at Daytona because the cars leave and are gone for like 60 to 70 seconds before they come back around on the next lap. And you can hear these guys giving you comments about turn two, giving you insight on what happened to this guy. And so then they will out cue for the break. They will say, this is the Daytona 500 on MRN. That's the out cue for play the commercials, but they just keep going at the track. It is commercial free audio. So it's an interesting point you bring up that some I mean, pay more maybe for commercial free. Well, yeah. Right. And I mean, again, we were talking about a passion thing here. You could really get people to pay money for a year long subscription. So to me, that Apple TV MLS model for NASCAR, they're not going to do it in the next one. But automatically, you just pay one thing, you get all the races, right? You can still simulcast races on Fox or NBC, but every single race is available in one place. And again, for the types of people who are watching every week, that's a different kind of thing than the people who are watching NBA every single week. Good points on all of those. It is the Alley 400, A-L-L-Y. The Alley 400 is the NASCAR race that debuts on NBC with Rick Allen, Earnhardt Jr., and all their race coverage on NBC from the Nashville Motor Speedway, and they take it all the way through the NASCAR playoffs and everything uh, that will be 
wrapping up. All right, one more. Love it or leave it. Everybody's got it on the brain right now. Movies in the theater, whether it is the superhero movies, Top Gun is like approaching a billion dollars in revenue already for being in all the theaters that it is. it has been in, et cetera. I don't know this about John Lewis, but my twins... Speaking of them once more, as I work them in on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast, they're kind of getting into mysteries. They love mysteries. Now, I'm not going to spoof joke with you about Mystery Science Theater 3000, but are you a mysteries guy? Do you enjoy mystery movies or mystery books? I don't know this about you. Love it or leave it. Mysteries. Do they grab you? Do you like this? Well, I did enjoy the mystery files of Shelby Wu back in the 90s (laughs) on Nickelodeon. wonder how many other people remember that show. That's a great uh, Easter egg for people to go back and find. I like that. But um, yeah, you know, look, uh, mysteries. It's a, I mean, I'm trying to think of uh, I did see Murder on the Orient Express. There we I, go. Don't, I don't know you, if I finished it. All right. Have uh, So we have watched on Hulu free plug both Murder on the Orient Express and then Death on the Nile. Mm-hmm. I will just plug in general terms. I thought Death of the Nile was so much better. And so they are into it. They are watching. We're watching it with them. It's obviously adult stuff. We're trying to explain. We're trying to protect a little bit. But the whodunit part of, of it has grabbed them a little bit. So are you, I mean, whodunit doesn't grab you as much. Doesn't matter. Just moving on. I mean, I'm trying to think of a mystery I've seen. And the only thing I can think of really is the episode of Golden Girls where they go to a mystery, a mystery cruise. Okay. And uh, Blanche thinks she's accidentally or Blanche is being framed for murder. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. On the Golden Girls. Yeah. We love uh, Blanche and Rose and and all of them. Dorothy and Sophia. Dorothy and Sophia. We love it. And the scariest thing was Estelle Getty. I believe this was the case was the youngest one of all of them, which you would have never thought. Estelle was not the youngest. She was the third youngest. She was the Be, uh, 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 Betty White, who lived the longest, uh-huh. was the oldest. Then B. Okay. Arthur, then Estelle, and then Rue McClanahan was much younger than the rest, younger. about a decade okay. younger. All right. The Golden Girls, always good. Uh, free, free plug, because I keep selling out my family and my wife. My wife and her teacher friends would go out to have fun at a, at a beach at whatever, and they would use Blanche and Rose. And what were the other names again? Dorothy, uh, Sophia, it, it, Dorothy and Sophia as their code names. That were, that was not their real names. They were the golden girl names. They would never call each other by their real names because wow. they were like in disguise when they would go out on that. All right. Murder mysteries are, are basically going to wrap it up. We are pretty much wrapping it up. Are yeah. we good here? Besides thank you to Lindsay Zarniak one more time from CBS and Fox sports and formerly with sports center and ESPN. Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Thank you, Lindsay, again. And uh, I would also note uh, Dorothy Blanche Rose Sophia, but also the recurring characters, Dorothy's ex-husband, Stan, played by the late Herb Edelman. You also <laughs> had uh, Miles, Rose's uh, on-again, off-again beau, who ended up in the Witness Protection Program, played by the late great Harold Gould. Oh my and of gosh. course, Dick Van Dyke was one of the all-time best guest stars they had on that show as Dorothy's boyfriend, who was a lawyer, but really wanted to be a circus clown. The scariest part of all of this Sports Media Watch audience is he's not doing that with looking anything up. He's doing that off the top of his head from 30 plus years ago about sitcom TV. 
Yeah. I, 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 in two tracks, compliment you and worry for you at the same time that you know all of that. <laughs> but I will say, the, the, uh, I, I remember I was once walking through Disney World with Mike mm-hmm. Soltis, the ESPN executive. Mm-hmm. A very funny story because someone walked up to us and complained about ESPN The Weekend to his face. They saw he was wearing like ESPN <laughs> apparel. They're like, man, ESPN The Weekend, I can't stand it. Like, it was amazing. But anyway, uh, the last thing Mike ever said to me uh, when we finished our conversation was, you watch too much TV. And that was true. Uh, but I've, guess uh, what? It, there's no such thing if you're doing what you're doing here. You're about it all. I, yeah. I like that. Listen, great stuff here again. Thank you, John Lewis. We appreciate it. Hey, I always love it. Uh, hey, but what else would I be doing right now? Getting the much needed sleep that I haven't gotten yet today? Uh, We'll, do, we'll sleep in the off-season, as I like to say. Yeah. Thanks also to Lindsay Zarniak one more time for being with us. Again, however you found the show, through John's website, sportsmediawatch.com, social media link. Make sure you follow or subscribe on this feed. Also for George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast that's on this feed, Mike Gill, uh, Phil DeMont Mollen, who do a fantastic job with the Announcer Schedules podcast and the guests that they have on. You get all of that on this feed if you're following or subscribing. We're back again soon with another edition of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Podcast for John Lewis. I'm TJ Reeves. Have a great rest of the week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.